What's up, everyone? This is Anthony Pompliano. Most of you know me as Pomp. You're listening to the Pomp Podcast, simply the best podcast out there. Now let's kick this thing off. Today's episode is with Do Kwan, one of the great brains behind the Terra ecosystem, including Luna, the UST stablecoin, and their brand new $10 billion Bitcoin bet to move that UST stablecoin onto the Bitcoin standard. I really enjoyed this conversation with Do Kwan, and I hope that you enjoy it as well. Before we get into this episode, though, I want to quickly talk about our sponsors. Today's episode is brought to you by Copper. Since 2018, Copper has been at the forefront of institutional digital asset development. From award-winning custody solutions to creating the first truly off-exchange settlement function, Copper pioneers technology, products, and services in lockstep with a rapidly changing world. No other infrastructure provider covers as many assets across as many exchanges with the speed and security that Copper can offer. To learn how Copper helps the world's largest institutional investors secure their digital assets, head over to copper.co. Again, Copper, the unfair advantage. Check them out at copper.co today. Next up is Compass Mining. Compass Mining is the world's largest marketplace for mining hardware and hosting. With Compass, everyone can mine Bitcoin. Their team makes it easy to start mining wherever you want, at home or in one of their 23 hosting facilities around the world. Through the Compass Marketplace, retail miners can access mining hardware with similar prices and purchase plans as the world's largest mining companies. Compass miners own their machines, they choose whatever mining pool they want, and they mine directly to their own wallets. Miners who don't want to host their machines can order ASICs directly to their doorstep. Simple and low-cost hosting agreements coupled with best-in-class customer service are the reasons why Compass is the simplest and most popular way to mine Bitcoin. Start mining your own Bitcoin today by visiting compassmining.io. Again, compassmining.io. Go check them out and let me know what you think. This episode is brought to you by Bullish. Bullish is a powerful new digital asset exchange built for institutions that delivers the innovations of DeFi in a regulated environment. The Bullish Hybrid Order Book pairs the high performance of a traditional central limit order book with the automated market making. Powered by deep bullish liquidity pools backed by the multi-billion dollar bullish treasury. So you can trade with certainty and at scale across variable market conditions. You can learn more at bullish.com or follow bullish on Twitter because the future belongs to the bullish. Now, this is not investment advice. Digital assets and cryptocurrencies are high risk products. Consult your professional advisor before dealing in them. Bullish's services are available in select locations only and not to U.S. persons. Visit bullish.com slash legal for important information and risk warnings. Go check them out at bullish.com or follow at bullish on Twitter. All right, let's get in this episode. I hope you guys enjoyed this one. Anthony Pompliano runs Pomp Investments. All views of him and the guests on his podcast are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Pomp Investments. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Pomp or his guests as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of his personal opinion. This podcast is for informational purposes only. All right, everyone. I've got Doe here with me. Uh, let's start first with uh, Terra as just a general idea. Obviously, this has grown to become one of the largest platforms, tons of users. Uh, what exactly was the general idea when you first started and what has that morphed into today? Um, so when we first started Terra, the idea was that we wanted to build a decentralized currency that is easier to use and more attractive to hold than other alternatives. So, um, you know, this was the case in 2017 when Terra was founded and it still is the case today. But all the stable coins uh, are, you know, uh, 
um, is, a, is a very valuable product in the market. About 80% of all spot trading for all of crypto happens through stablecoin pairs and denominates most of the liquidity pools and use cases for DeFi. But the issue is that they're either centralized, backed by fiat dollars for every unit of stablecoin that's issued, or they're based on leverage. So it, it doesn't scale um, as user demand for stablecoins increase. So Terra is sort of, you know, um, a new way of creating these stable coins that are algorithmic, which is that instead of having a dollar that were um, some unit of leverage that is backing a unit of stable coin, you use a set of uh, arbitrage incentives to stabilize the peg ar- around the dollar. Got it. And so when you start to think about this, there's algorithmic stable coins uh, that have been attempted multiple times. And I always talk about it in terms of uh, there's an intellectual fascination that people from technology, finance, and many other disciplines have with this. Uh, Your idea was to essentially use that uh, arbitrage incentive to drive the value back to $1. Explain where the Luna token comes in and how you think about absorbing volatility and that actual arbitrage uh, incentive to keep it at a stable value of $1. So an easy way of understanding this is that, um, you know, user, so price volatility for the Terra stablecoin is absorbed by the supply of the Luna staking asset. So at any given time, a user can mint one Terra USD by burning a dollar's worth of Luna and vice versa, any user can redeem one Terra USD for a dollar's worth of Luna, whatever that market rate might be. So, uh, so in essence, like Luna contracts and expands in supply in order to be able to facilitate mints and redemptions of the Terra stablecoin. And that's how the stablecoin maintains its spec. Got it. And so when you start to think about this, how exactly are most people getting the Luna token? Are they just going to an exchange and taking Bitcoin, ETH, a different stablecoin and buying it? Or, or how is that getting into their hands so that they can actually participate here? I would say most people, um, you know, for new newcomers, they purchase it from an exchange, existing exchange, be it a centralized exchange or a DEX. Uh, so Luna trades in multiple different DEXs across uh, numerous different blockchains. Or for existing holders, they could use some of their staking rewards um, to, to, to get Luna. Okay. And when you start to think about the algorithmic uh, stablecoin structure, what are the pros and cons of this, right? It's obvious that you're trying to keep it at uh, that stable value, but how do you think about this being superior to other forms of stablecoins? And then what are the risks or challenges that you guys identified? Sure. So I would say the three things that you need to keep in mind uh, when thinking about a stablecoin is uh, number one, decentralization. Number two, uh, stability. And number three, scalability. So algorithmic stablecoins are very strong in the decentralization and um, the scalability elements. Well, it's decentralized because there's no there's no sort of centralized collateral that is sitting that can be censored by regulators or by custodians. It is scalable in the sense that um, you know, insofar as there is a non-zero amount of um, some some paired asset that can be burned, stablecoin supply can increase to meet user demand. Uh, where um, algorithmic stablecoins have sort of a different stability model is that, you know, for something like Tether or USDC, uh, hypothetically, it could absorb like 100% of the demand fall of that stablecoin. So uh, without uh, presupposing any sort of changes in user demand, like because there's a dollar in collateral for every stablecoin that's issued, all of that demand uh, volatility can be absorbed. So uh, algorithmic stablecoins are more brittle when it comes to changes in user demand because um, if you have too many of the people that are sort of divesting out of that stablecoin all at once, then you could lead to a situation where you know too much of the paired asset gets printed, 
And therefore, there's a death spiral in the overall economy. Got it. And so when you start to think about uh, those challenges, uh, how have you previously been addressing it? And then we'll get into this idea of uh, Bitcoin backing. But what were you previously doing to prevent that scenario? Um, so if you look at sort of the long list of algorithmic stablecoins that have failed, like Basis Cash, ESD, um, you know, DSD, um, Tomb Finance, they all fail for one reason. And that's, that's because um, there's no inherent uh, driver of demand for these stablecoins. Other than if you hold this stablecoin, we're going to give you 100x the amount of stablecoin within the next year. So it's sort of a game of musical chairs whereby you know, everybody's sort of watching when all the other capital is going to exit. So the most famous case of this failure is something called Iron Finance, which I think Mark Cuban invested in. Um, and the idea was that they were offering a 12,000% APR on holding these stable coins. And at one point, if a sufficient amount of capital left the system, the entire thing collapses. So uh, for Terra, we approached it in a slightly different way. So in the beginning, uh, Terraform Labs, which is a company that I founded, uh, has, has been the most prolific builder uh, on top of the Terra blockchain. So we try to focus on use cases uh, that are that exhibit low volatility and reaches a lot of real world users. So we've um, created a number of payment companies across Korea and Mongolia uh, and expanded to Vietnam and Thailand. So these are companies like Chai and Einport, uh, whereby you could take Terra stablecoins and spend it across you know, uh, pretty much every large merchant in the country. So we sort of closed the retail loop on payments on things that you could do with Terra stablecoins. So uh, from that perspective, like demands, um, user demand for you know payments is a lot less volatile than what you would find in something like DeFi, right? It's just generally like a pretty smooth, up to the right type of curve. There's very little churn, so which which makes it perfect to use for um, as, as sort of like an adoption gateway for an algorithmic stablecoin. Uh, other things that we've launched, like for example, Pylon and Anchor and Mirror, are, are quite similar, right? They share the common characteristic that users uh, don't use it as sort of like an endogenous recursive vehicle to park stablecoins, and then uh, it's something that that draws a lot of people and exhibits lots of stickiness. Got it. And so when you start to think about uh, the fact that you've addressed this to some degree, you're aware of how other stablecoins actually failed. Uh, why is there uh, an interest in or, or the potential move to do the Bitcoin backing? What's the thought process there of moving some or all of the reserves into Bitcoin rather than just sticking with the current uh, kind of uh, failure mitigation strategy? Yeah. So there's a couple of reasons. And the first reason is economic. Right. So whereas in the beginning, when Pair was a much smaller ecosystem, we were building a lot of use cases and we could sort of control the types of use cases that were built on Terra. That is no longer true. So Terra is currently the second largest smart contract platform after Ethereum in terms of TVL and number two or number three in terms of usership. Um, so the types of applications that are being built on the Terra blockchain, um, they're not <laughs> not all of them are necessarily, you know, uh, exhibit low volatility. So for example, we have options protocols and interest rate swaps and FX perps and, um, you know, dog coins like Dogecoin named after yours truly. Um, so if you sort of think about like um, an open permissionless platform where people are just launching anything. So in that case, like it's harder to reason about um, the volatility profile of that stable coin. And correspondingly, we needed to, um, you know, design the stability mechanism in, in such a way that is more robust than what we initially found out. 
Got it. And so right now there's about $3 billion or so in the Luna Foundation that I'll call as the Luna Reserves. Um, when you think about those reserves, uh, what are that $3 billion sitting in? Is it all in um, uh, UST, the stable coin? Is it in various other assets? Uh, what, where are those reserves being held? So um, the reserves are being held by a multi-sig of seven directors of the uh, Luna Foundation Guard. Um, so these are... Um, you know, uh, builders uh, of various different protocols on top of the Terra ecosystem. So right now we hold, uh, so we've been steadily buying Bitcoin. So um, some portion of it sits in Bitcoin. I think it's still a little less than a billion dollars. And then uh, about $1.6 billion sit in Tether. Um, and then uh, I think close to a billion dollars or so sits in, um, in Terra stable points. So uh, of which we, you know, could liquidate to curve uh, which is quite imbalanced in favor of um, USDT and USDC uh, quite easily. Got it. And so when you start to think about this idea of uh, moving to some Bitcoin backing in the reserves, what I find fascinating is you only have $3 billion in the current reserves. Uh, my understanding is that the plan is to move all $3 billion of that into Bitcoin over time. Uh, how do you get from $3 billion to $10 billion, though? Uh, there's $7 billion uh, kind of difference there in the number that everyone's talking about, but only $3 billion in the reserves. So explain that. Yeah. So, uh, so. What we're doing with that three billion is that we're just using it to bootstrap the initial reserve. But essentially, where we're trying to get to is where um, we use a part of the UST seniorage to keep building up the US uh, to to keep keep building up the Bitcoin reserves. So the idea is that every time that a new UST is minted, some portion of that will still subscribe to the old stability mechanism, so it's still going to burn Luna. But some percentage of that, um, let's say you know like forty percent or fifty percent gets used to buy Bitcoin and then to place it in the Bitcoin reserve. So as UST grows, you can imagine a scenario where more and more Bitcoin gets locked up in uh, this reserve system and is sort of, you know, and which can kick in during times where UST demand needs to be absorbed. Got it. And so when you start to think about uh, the new issuance right now, uh, my understanding is about 100 million to 200 million uh, new demand per day for UST. at what point do you decide what percentage of that will be diverted to go purchase Bitcoin versus just burning the Luna that's being given in for uh, for issuance? So it's going to be an on-chain parameter that can be determined through governance. But the idea is that, you know, there, there's going to be, so th- this already exists, by the way. So um, there is a parameter on the Terra blockchain that determines what percentage of seniorage should be routed to some com- common public good purpose, right? So there is a wallet that is controlled by, uh, the set of people that have staked Luna on the Terra blockchain. And then these people can vote on what to set their parameter to and how it changes. So it's not a discretionary uh, decision point for the foundation. So the idea is that, um, you know, you have this on-chain parameter. So a- anytime that users start to swap in Luna to mint UST, uh, some portion of that as dictated by this parameter is going to be reserved by the system and then used to purchase Bitcoin against, let's say, an on-chain AMM or a special, you know, virtual exchange that, that we're in the process of drafting up and um, submitting for a community review shortly. Got it. And so when you do this uh, right now, let's say that the average uh, amount of Bitcoin that's coming into the circulating supply via the block reward is, you know, 
plus or minus $40 million per day. If you have $200 million worth of demand coming in uh, for UST and you're diverting, you know, even a smaller percentage, not even a majority of it uh, to actually purchasing Bitcoin, uh, you could be purchasing over 100% of the daily incoming supply of Bitcoin uh, on a relative basis. How do you think about that in terms of impacting Bitcoin's price? And do you think that that's a positive, negative, or just completely indifferent to, uh, to what the impact is? Um, so I, I guess this could be like an interesting way of, you know, what the Ethereans have been saying about EIP-1559. Um, but I, I think for a very long time, UST supply is going to keep growing. I think there's massive demand for decentralized stablecoins. So I think, you know, on a lot of days, we will see more Bitcoin being locked up in this on-chain reserve than the miners are putting out in the market. Yeah. One it's of obviously the things, positive. Yeah. V- very positive if you're holding Bitcoin. Uh, w- one of the things that people I don't think quite understand about the uh, move of Bitcoin from, you know, $8,000, to the first time it crossed over 60000 was the grayscale GBTC uh, arbitrage trade was a huge piece of that. At one point, they were buying up, you know, 150, 200% of the daily incoming supply of Bitcoin, uh, but there's no redemption functionality to that fund. So they, people would basically give them the money in the private placement. They would take the cash, go buy Bitcoin. Once it went into the GBTC structure, it couldn't come out. And today they hold approximately 3% or so of the circulating supply in that fund. Uh, and it's somewhat of a black hole, right? Can't come back out. Uh, talk us through, once you all have purchased Bitcoin uh, via the, the various things, either converting the existing reserves or using some of the uh, the scenerage, uh, is it possible for people to essentially redeem or withdraw the Bitcoin out of uh, the UST reserves? Or once it goes in, it's pretty much in there uh, and, uh, and won't be coming out? Yeah. So um, as I said, the structure is very similar to an AMM. So you would be able to trade UST against it. So the idea is that uh, how it works is that at any given time, it's sort of a special AMM that subscribes to an Oracle price of Bitcoin. Um, and then the price update would be something like 30 seconds um, and the idea is that at any given time, you could trade in um, a dollar's worth of Bitcoin and then mint one pair of USD. And then vice versa, on the redemption cycle, you could um, trade in one pair of USD and then get, let's say, 99 cents worth of Bitcoin. So this sort of spread between the mint and the redemption guarantees that this reserve is only used when USD is starting to detect. But if you wanted to use it as a redemption mechanism, you could do that minus some small spread. Got it. That makes sense. Um, what's your thought process uh, as you go to do this? Obviously, the Bitcoin community uh, kind of they look over, and they say, "Hey, what the hell is Terra? You know, who's Doe? What, what's going on here? Somebody's going to buy ten billion dollars worth of Bitcoin. They'd be one of the big, largest Bitcoin holders in the world if they successfully do it." Um, have you seen a positive, a negative reaction? Uh, does that help Terra in terms of the the awareness with uh, with other communities, or how are you thinking about maybe like the non economic uh, aspect between the community? Yeah, so <laughs> let, let me answer this in two different ways. So the first is, I, I would say the sort of the response um, of various different communities has been mixed, right? So I, I think overall supportive. Uh, there are some very interesting takes uh, that have gotten on DMs or on Twitter. Um, but overall, I think using Bitcoin is a way to uh, sort of build alliances with the Bitcoin community, which is very valuable. But at the same time, one of the strengths of using Bitcoin as a backing asset is that it builds credibility with the other communities as well. Because you can say whatever you want about Bitcoin, but at the end of the day, it is the soundest 
and the most credibly neutral asset uh, in, in the digital asset space, right? There's, there's no equal, right? So as, as Terra is starting to expand into different cross-chain ecosystems, right, and to facilitate lots, lots more use cases, uh, if we only work with Luna, then in that case, the sort of the approachable market of people that can, we can work with is going to be limited. But by working with Bitcoin, uh, that potential space gets lar much larger. And the size of our ambition isn't to be the largest stablecoin of the Terra blockchain. It's to be the largest stablecoin, period. And in order to do that, it just makes sense to work with Bitcoin 100%. Second response is that one of the great things about Bitcoin is that you, it actually doesn't matter what the community says about Bitcoin, right? That, that's actually, it's fundamentally great property, right? In the sense that Bitcoin is going to have value as a backing asset, irrespective of whether people approve or disapprove of this move. Right. So from that perspective, I think it's, you know, the fact that there's, you know, an outpour of lots of different types of opinions is actually incredibly bullish because in despite of that, I think this is going to be great for crypto. It's going to be great for Bitcoin. And I think it's going to be great for Terra. I, uh, I saw a number of the takes. Uh, some were very pleasant. Some were not so pleasant. Uh, and the thing that uh, caught my eye, I saw two different tweets. One was uh, the idea that, you know, when MicroStrategy is buying billions of dollars of Bitcoin, bullish. When El Salvador is buying a lot of Bitcoin, bullish. When Terra is buying a lot of Bitcoin, we don't like that, right? And that seems kind of crazy. <laughs> uh, and then the second one was uh, this idea that lots and lots of people have always thought that Bitcoin is kind of pristine collateral or uh, it's the perfect asset. Uh, and so the central banks would eventually peg uh, or back the fiat currencies with Bitcoin. And, you know, let's go talk about that. Let's encourage that. But oh, wait a second, hold on. A dollar stable coin that is not from a central bank, we don't want them to do it. And so my general take here is uh, if you all are successful and kind of execute this correctly, uh, is it a fair statement to say that you're essentially creating the playbook for any currency, whether it's a stable coin, whether it's a fiat currency or really anything else uh, on how to back that asset with the pristine collateral of Bitcoin? Yeah, for sure. And I think a lot of that is already happening. So today, the um, Ava Labs, which is uh, sort of the core team behind the Avalanche blockchain, just uh, used Udi Wertheimer to uh, <laughs> uh, announce um, a new bridge that bridges Bitcoin over to the Avalanche blockchain. And I think a lot of that use case is going to be centered around using Bitcoin as collateral in various different uh, you know, DeFi and, and uh, cross-chain ecosystems. I think this playbook is going to get played out over and over again. Um, I think you know, stable coins that are backed by Bitcoin is going to be you know, uh, a very strong use case. But I can also see DAOs that are holding you know, Bitcoin as a treasury management strategy or, um, you know, using it as a settlement asset and lots of different use cases can proliferate. Yeah, I tend to think that that is uh, very positive, both for the communities that are going to do it and also for uh, for Bitcoin, the asset itself. Um, if, uh, if somebody listens to this, what's like the one thing you want them to walk away with uh, understanding or, or thinking about when it comes to uh, UST, Terra, and uh, this decision to go ahead and back it with Bitcoin? So ultimately, what we're trying to do with sort of, um, you know, getting UST on the Bitcoin standard is to get to a state where we can build a better currency for all of crypto, right? Uh, the, the decision to uh, subscribe to the Bitcoin standard is because we believe it's the best asset that you can use as collateral to create a new type of money, right? Um, so there's a number of technical challenges that remain for us to be able to do this as well as, you know, um, we, we haven't deployed the system out of production yet, so lots of economic challenges. So if you have 
um, anything to offer in terms of mechanism research or technical skills or, uh, you know, relationships with uh, bridges or other teams that can help us do this, you know, uh, please send DMs my way. Uh, would, would love and appreciate the help. Awesome. And where can we send people to find you on the internet or uh, find out more about what you guys are doing with uh, either Luna Foundation or, uh, or UST itself? Got it. So in order to reach out to me, I'm StableQuan on Twitter. My DMs are, I'm pretty responsive. Uh, in terms of uh, where you can find out more about, you know, the progress of what's happening with this reserve system, our research forum, Money. Uh, is going to contain lots of updates uh, as we roll out requests for funding and um, as we make you know treasury changes to acquire more Bitcoin. So please stay tuned. Awesome. Well, listen, thank you so much for taking the time to do this. I think that this is an epic move that uh, some people don't understand yet, but uh, I, I uh, wish you the best of luck. And uh, it seems like if you execute this correctly, it'll be pretty powerful. Yeah, sounds great. Th- thanks so much for having me. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode. I really hope you guys enjoyed this one. Make sure you're subscribed on Apple, Spotify, or your favorite podcast player. And if you're looking to try to transition to get a new job in the Bitcoin or crypto industry, we've got you covered. Head over to pompscryptocourse.com. We've developed a curriculum with the top teams across the industry. It's a three-week intensive training program with over 50 events packed into that three-week time period. Go to pompscryptocourse.com to learn more. And I'll meet you guys for the next episode.